The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So I want to read you the words someone has written about Second. Corinthians. And if you haven't been reading along in the the Bible reading plan with us, we are well into the New Testament and we are close to the end of the year. We're close to being done. And so these words, if you haven't been reading, will excite you to read. Listen to this. These are the words for 2 Corinthians. This is the most intensely personal, passionate, and intimate of all Paul's letters. That's pretty extraordinary. So think of Paul. Paul's a passionate guy. Paul's written about half the New Testament. Paul hated Jesus, hated Jesus' followers. And in this miraculous moment, he was on this road to a city called Damascus, and he was going there to attack Christians, and God met him in an extraordinary way, and he went and just started preaching about Jesus. And so this guy, he's had an extraordinary life. It says this is the most personal, passionate and intimate of all his letters. Though there is not as much doctrinal or moral teaching content here as in his other letters, there is more emotion, personal confession, biographical revelation, and direct personal address. So, if you're not reading with us, get into 2 Corinthians and look for that. Look for these these personal moments where he, he interacts with the church at Corinth. This is the third letter Paul's written to the church of Corinth. We only have two. We have the first and we have the third. But he does talk about another letter in there in this letter we're going to be reading today. So he wrote the church of Corinth because like a lot of cities of the time, like I want you to think of this. The, the, the world, most of it did not know about Jesus. We have Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, well Bethlehem, and then did his ministry on Jerusalem died, rose from the grave, and then the word had to spread from there. And so as people passionate about Jesus, knowing that God himself came, died, rose from the dead, and now gives freedom to people, right? Now brings people back into relationship with God. This is motivating news, right? Gospel, good news, and so they're spreading it. And cities like Corinth, people in it, after hearing the news that God himself had come, lived among people, died, rose from the dead, and now brings forgiveness and relationship with God. People respond to that. So I want you to imagine this city, the city of Corinth, a city full of temples, idolatry. People are responding to this message about Jesus and coming to faith. Right? It's incredible. But what happens as these churches grow is that people being together, conflict happens, right? And so... What happens is people are are getting leadership in these churches and creating different camps or or like one leader will say, you know, I really think that we should focus on this part. Another leader saying, hey, I really think we should focus on this. And so they all have their own little programs. And so Paul's writing to this church that's getting pretty screwed up. And he's trying to pull them back to what's most important. And so in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing sexual immorality and divisions in the church. And then he writes them again, this even more personal letter that we have in 2 Corinthians. 
just pleading with them, showing them ways that he's screwed up, right? Showing them himself and saying, hey, come back to Jesus. This isn't about all these other things we make it about. This is about Jesus alone. So we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians 4, and I'll just show you. There's these culminating moments in Paul's writing, and this is one of them. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So let's understand just that. Verse six, he says, so God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And so he's bringing us back to this this Genesis one moment where there was nothing, there was darkness, there was void. And God spoke and creates. He's bringing us back to that moment and said, so remember God who created everything. Out of nothing, he spoke things into being. He goes, this God made his light shine in your hearts. So what he's saying is, you know how God spoke into nothing and created something? Well, he goes, the darkness in your heart when you are still and alone and you're like, I don't even, like when I'm most honest about myself, I'm most confused about myself, right? And, and this God shines his light, literally the understanding of himself into your hearts. That's what he does. And he's comparing it to the miracle of creation. You know how amazing all this stuff is that we call the cosmos? The creation of that, he's comparing to the light of the gospel getting shined into the darkness of your soul. That's incredible. So he says, he makes this light shine in your hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. So when you see this word glory, it just means his fullness. So all the character, quality, being of God, all the knowledge of that is being displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And so you see how Paul in this church that's so confused because they've, they've made it about so many other things, he's going, it's all about focusing on the face of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to simplify it to you. He goes, I'm going to take you from this cosmic scale all the way down to what's going on in your heart when you consider who Jesus is. It's, it's like creation's happening inside of you. And that's very exciting, right? So, We have this good news, but we have this treasure. This treasure. So if you're taking notes, this treasure is Jesus. God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is the treasure we have, but it is found in jars of clay. Okay, so I want to build out for us this idea of treasure really quick because we, we say that this is the treasure so from a very young age, we kind of get what treasure is, right? Probably all of us at one point gathered with a little group of friends and we chose something that was very valuable and it was probably like a cache of candy or something like that, right? And you're like, okay, we are going to hide this. So you go and you hide it. And then you make this elaborate map, right? Back to where that treasure is. And you're like, someday we're going to uncover this and just be filthy rich. No, what? <laughs> that was a joke. So, uh, so <laughs> we, we, we know instinctively what it is to value something because 
right? We know the stories of piracy, right? It's ama- amazing as a child how you like, you like esteem these villainous creatures, but creatures, people, <laughs> maybe dragons also collect treasure, okay? But we get it. We get what it means to value this one thing and, and to, to orient our lives around it. And, and as much as it's a joke as children, we still, we continue on with that. And, and the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about treasure in, in a variety of ways. And, and I want to show you how still in our lives, this is the way we interact with valuable things. We, if you're taking notes, you'll see it's we pursue it, we prize it, and we protect it. And this is all important when we think about Jesus is a treasure. So when we think about, about pursuing this treasure in Matthew 5, 19 and 20, it says, right, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So some of us, even as we get older and we might not, you know, play, you know, hiding treasure anymore, still all of us have put our hearts somewhere, our hearts desire something, and it says where your heart is, that's what you treasure. So for some of us, we just, we are so busy doing and compulsively acting towards something, we don't even stop and realize what we are valuing above all things, right? And so for a lot of us, it would be really beneficial to just stop and say, what when I am, when I assess my thinking, my feeling, what is that thing my heart goes to? And for, for somebody, it could be like, you realize that in your spare time, you're thinking of something to buy. And it always goes back to like, right, clothes or a new house or whatever it is that, that you, you just kind of like, it's your safe place. It's your happy place to think about that and think of owning that or possessing that. Or it could be that you, you've been single and you're like, and you realize whenever you're quiet, that's what you think about. You think about being in a relationship and how good that and satisfying it would be to be there, right? Where your heart is, there you're going to find your treasure. And so we get this idea of, of pursuit. And later on, just one chapter later in Matthew, after it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says, if you seek Jesus' kingdom, when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. And so again, it's, it's refocusing, putting Jesus at the center and it says, then all these things, you'll, you'll find their place after that. So it's not like you seek him first and it's like, and sweet, I just had this palace donated to me. No, it's like you seek him first and then you realize where all those things fit in life after that. And we'll We'll see that a bit later, but what you pursue than what you prize. Matthew 13, 44 tells a beautiful story. It's a parable Jesus shares, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And then someone walks through this field and they kind of stumble upon it, right? This place that some pirate had buried their treasure and marked that spot with a huge X. They stumbled upon the big X, right? And they, they find it and it says, And with joy, they go and they sell everything they have so they can purchase that. They prize it. And we know what that's like, right? When our heart's desire is met and we get so excited. We get this and it says, this is what the kingdom of heaven, your, your interaction with the good news of Jesus is meant to be like. Discovery, and discovery accompanied by so much joy 
that you're willing to give up everything else so you can have that. The treasure of knowing Jesus. The last thing is you protect it. And there's this, there's these beautiful uh, times where Paul gives advice to his protege or the, the young man he's mentoring named Timothy. And he says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Right? He's saying, guard the gospel. He goes, there's going to be people that tell you a lot of stuff. And just don't get distracted by it because you're going you're gonna to veer from the path if you do that. He goes on to say, what you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of us might find ourselves in that place where, where at one point, Jesus was our prize. Jesus was our joy. We found freedom in him and we were like, nothing can take this away. And then we just stopped protecting it, right? We just went on and let our hearts start pursuing so many other things and got so distracted. But the crazy news is this, as we go on in 2 Corinthians 4, it says we have this treasure, but this treasure being the glory of God in the face of Christ It says, we have it in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So if you're following in your notes, it says the treasure chest here is you. So the the mind-blowing news is that, that this powerful display of the glory of God in the face of Christ isn't, okay, I want you to imagine that this red not, isn't found in us, but is found in a tree. I feel like we know what to do with that. We're like, in Jerusalem, there's a tree where the glory of God is displayed, right? And so we go to that tree and we're like, oh, that's amazing, right? But (laughs) what it's saying is that each one of us who have put our faith in God, we are the carriers of the treasure, so, so if someone were asked, where do we see Jesus now? It should be in us who carry this. Not as strong, powerful, invincible beings, right? It's not like you came to faith in Jesus and you become Superman. You're like, and you can see it because the power of God's in me, right? That's not the way it works. You stay human. <laughs> you remain a jar of clay. And yet now you've been entrusted with this incredible gift of the glory of God in the face of Christ in you. But, but do you get it? You're still a jar of clay. It wasn't like hidden in these safes that are like fireproof and bombproof. And No, it's like what happens is follow along here. It says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So what it says here is the treasure is in you. You are frail, but you are not safe. You are not protected. Yet what we try doing, and and Paul kind of works this out. He goes, don't be someone who takes this treasure and then that jar of clay is so fragile then removes it from being touched by anything. No, he goes, you're going to be in this place where you're going to be hard-pressed You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be struck down. Yet the treasure 
will just start spilling out of you when that happens, right? That's the way it spreads. Isn't by you being safe and removed and not touched. No, it is by you being pressed and persecuted, right? You being struck down but not destroyed. And when that happens, the treasure of the glory of God in Christ radiates from you. You are fragile. Yet in that fragility, you display the glory. It, it, you become see-through. You become a sharer of it, right? Not immovable, not impenetrable, not, not removed, right? Isn't this amazing? This is why we send people to Turkey, to China, we go to Basque Country. This is why we go. This is why we go to downtown Bremerton. This is why we go to Port Orchard. This is, this is why when you leave here, you're involved in your community because you are the way people see the glory of God in the face of Christ is in your fragility. It's the way it works. There isn't a tree in Jerusalem you can go to and see it. They have to interact with the glory of God in you, right? It's the plan. So if you aren't being vulnerable, weak, persecuted, oppressed in front of people, they might not see Jesus. So don't try to stay safe. This is, this is just this is amazing. So what, what Paul shares, if we go on to, to uh, verse 10, he says, so we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what he's saying is, like when we are pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, we're experiencing that crucified life of Jesus, and so others can experience the resurrection of Jesus. One of the words that I haven't shared yet, but, but I love so much is when it says we are perplexed. I think of all the times when like we have a moment to share about Jesus and we just don't know what to do. Like that's you sharing about Jesus. Like you going like, I kind of don't have a clue right now. It's like you sharing Jesus sometimes, right? The perplexities of life and the times that you're pressed. It's not when you are invincible, but it's the times when you're like, man, Honestly, like, I don't know what to do. Like, like, this thing in my life seems out of my control. That's usually when you're going to show Jesus the best, right? And he says, this is the experience of death in us so that life can be at work in the people that we are surrounded by. But there's this beautiful promise. If we go down to verse 16, that I just want to connect with this. Um, because we have these these gains and losses that are unexpected, I think, because of this view. Um, and I want to read you uh, a little quote from a book, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And I want you to hear when he says gains and losses in this. He says, the concept of the majesty, meaning the majesty of God, has come just when the forces of religion are making dramatic gains and the churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several hundred years. Get this, he says, but the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses wholly internal. 
And since it is the quality of our religion that is affected by the internal condition, it may be that our supposed gains are but losses spread over a wider field. The only way to recoup our spiritual losses is to go back to the cause of them and make such corrections as the truth warrants. The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. He says, a rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way to curing them. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. And what he's saying here is when our idea of God is no longer the glory of God in the face of Christ, but it is, it is so tampered with. And I think it gets so tampered with because we put so much emphasis on these outward gains. And oftentimes our outward gains are making us safe. Right? So what do we fight for in our lives? Do, are we fighting for us to not be pressed, perplexed and persecuted and struck down? And if we do that, we make great outward gains and yet inwardly often we suffer. Because it is when we are pressed, when we are perplexed, right? When we are unsafe and struck down that the treasure of Jesus is made visible in us. And so I think a lot of times what we find ourselves fighting for is to, just to look honorable among people, right? Or, or to have the group that is most powerful or whatever that is. And he says, when we do that, we make great outward gains. We can do that. We can fight for that. But when we do that, what we miss out is the inward growth of the light of the gospel, of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ in fragile jars of clay. And so, so let's, stop, let's not fight for just outward safety and stability and gains. Let's, let's fight for the integrity of the gospel in our lives. And this is what it looks like. It says, and so we don't lose heart, though there's all this stuff going on, though outwardly we are wasting away, though you are getting older every day, though your challenges in life are challenging, Right? And you're not going to be, oh, they're not there. You know, like they're there, they're present. It says, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So you see this, what, is, what are your gains and losses? If you're looking for your gains to be and your treasure to be something that is just of earth, you'll miss on this immense treasure, this eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And you're wondering, why do I feel safer than ever, but farther away from God? You wonder, why do I, why do I, I feel more successful in the eyes of the world than ever before, and yet at the same time, I feel like I've lost track, Right? And yet we're always at risk of that because you are never going to be invincible. You will always be a jar of clay. And the best thing you can know is just acknowledge that. But know the treasure you have in you, right? And so when you are pressed, you won't be crushed. Perplexed, you won't be in despair. Remembering this treasure you have in you and keeping your focus there and leaving that rest, the rest to God. So the question is, right, what is your treasure? And if your treasure is Jesus and you say your treasure is Jesus, this is the big question. Can someone find Jesus in you? Because they're not going to find it in a tree in Jerusalem, right? 
They might open the Bible and not understand it. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch in, in Acts 8, like, who's like, how do I understand this? And Philip came and is like, let me explain it to you. They might not be able to find it until you come as a jar of clay, fragile, fragile as you are, in an unsafe situation going, let me tell you about Jesus. And they see in you. Can someone find Jesus in you? Just a simple question of how are you carrying that treasure? <laughs> is it easily accessible? Is it right beneath the surface? Or are you covering it? Trying to be invincible, trying to go through life without challenges. So Refuge Church, I pray for us that we will be a people that don't lose heart and that we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And in that, that people will just find the treasure that Jesus is in us. And, and I tell you what, it won't be an easier life, right? It will be a life being perplexed sometimes, persecuted sometimes. But a, a life where your heart is always in the right place and that, that is something that cannot be taken away from you. Man, pray with me. Father, thank you for choosing us. We are all very aware of our frailty. We're very aware that you have given us something that we're like, you want to be in me. Uh, you've, you haven't, um, you haven't just given us like 50%, 60%. You've given us all of yourself to dwell in us. It says in Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that the world can see who you are through us. God, we just, we repent for the ways that we have shown other people that we value something else more than you. God, we just, we repent when we have tried to look invincible when really we are not. We repent of just trying to cover up your glory, the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ by all these other things. We want to love you and we want to want you more than anything. We want to treasure you. Thank you for inviting us again today to be poured into by your spirit, to be filled up with the treasure of Christ. We don't have to wait for that. We can come even today and just say, God, you know me. And we can again live in repentance and just be filled up by your spirit. God, I pray that we will just seek you passionately today. I want you more than anything. Be satisfied in you. I know some of us have just probably come thirsty today. Come from a long week, come feeling beat up, maybe feeling persecuted or oppressed. God, I just pray that they will see how awesome they are, just that they've been filled with your treasure. And no one can take that away from them because that's, that's you. That's your, 
they're your kid and you're just your, you're their dad who's just is so excited to give them good gifts and sing over them like it says in scripture. So we worship you, we love you, and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.